The Ringer NBA show is presented by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who could help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws your way. Last night, the Heat got an unexpected outcome. Jonathan Charks, who we'll talk to today, asked us to watch the Miami Heat because of how well they've been playing. They were 5-1 and one going into last night's game against the Denver Nuggets. Unfortunately, they were absolutely rocked, and we didn't end up getting to talk about how good they've been playing. But it seems like overall they have been better with Jimmy Butler, and, and we'll see if they could rebound later this week against, I believe, the Lakers. Uh, get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance. And now, group chat. Basketball is very good. The Spurs should shoot more mid-range jumpers. More players should have Trey Young's hairstyle. The Utah Jazz name actually makes sense. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the group chat. I am Justin Verrier and joining me on the line from Dallas... The washed king himself is Jonathan Charks. <laughs> What's up, buddy? I'm definitely washed. I'm not sure about being a king. Well, we'll see what we could do here on this podcast. Uh, Chris Ryan is not with us today. He is in Portland. Isaac Lee is here, and we will have to lean on his L.A. expertise because we're going to be talking about both teams today. Believe it or not, we are officially coastal elitists. Sorry, Charks. We're going to do a little segment we're calling Trending Topics. For all you millennials out there, uh, that is a reference to the interwebs. We're going to talk about teams that are trending up, trending down. And then we're going to do a little love to see it, hate to see it. America's number one segment that we've done running on two weeks now, I believe. So I think that went well last week, so we're going to do that again. But let's start with trending up. And I hate to see this, but it's the Los Angeles Lakers. The last time we talked about the Lakers, we were pretty much bagging on them uh, after their opening night, opening night loss to the Clippers and expecting them to lose. I believe we ended up at 5-10 and 10 in their early season schedule. Oh my gosh, did we say that? Oof. Yeah, well, you didn't, so, so that's good for you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, I think we just assumed, <laughs> given their lack of depth, given you know LeBron's age, everything we'd seen from them last season, that the regular season would be a slog. They'd be a good playoff team, but it'd be hard to string together wins. They have won literally every single game since that point. Uh, they are 6-1, and one, which is first in the Western Conference. They are 14th on offense, but second on defense, which is the big surprise here. They have the second best net rating in the NBA as well. Charks, they were just in Dallas a little while ago. Did you manage to catch that game? And if so, what did you see? I actually missed that one, but oh, okay. was, well, I watched it on anyway? TV. It was the Luka versus LeBron show. It was incredible. It was two guys. I think LeBron was the oldest triple-double ever, and Luka was like the youngest, or some combination of stats. I forget exactly what it was. Yeah, it's funny. So I watched that game, and I haven't really moved my body in several months because of the start of the NBA season, so I tried to escape to the gym. And what ended up happening was the game just kept getting more and more interesting to the point where I was literally just walking on the treadmill for, I think, upwards of an hour as the guy next to me was just, like, hooping and hollering the entire time. So that was fun. It's a real cool Friday night experience. Don't use basketball as an excuse. You just don't work out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's also true. Uh, my, my CrossFit era has unfortunately ended prematurely. Uh, so I think the big questions here, obviously this is working. The defense is working. We'll get to that in a little bit. But my first question is about LeBron. Three straight triple doubles. 
which is why he sent out that tweet last night where he quote tweeted the Lakers account saying he had that many triple doubles and he put washed king with the little like shushy emoji and I believe there might have been a crown is there as well. Sharks, what are you seeing from LeBron? Does he seem like he's aging gracefully into maybe this back end of his career? Yeah, I mean, I think he's really figuring out his game as he gets older. I was looking at the numbers. He's right now in the 100th percentile as a post-up scorer. Mm. And that's something that you wrote about pretty recently, right? He has to play more bully ball. He's just using his size. He's a really smart player. I mean, they're spreading the floor for him. I think to me, what stands out watching them is just... Like, what happened to LeBron taking a step back? Like, LeBron is still doing LeBron stuff. So he's number two in the league in touches per game. He's averaging 35 minutes per game. He's straight up 32. It just feels like LeBron's just kind of boss-hogging the balls always and doing his thing. And it doesn't seem as much of a handover of power between him and AD. Yeah, it's definitely a different LeBron, even physically. Uh, Obviously, he's been bigger for a little while now. He was last year, but there's something about him where he has this look, and perhaps this is me just projecting onto him as as a fellow 30-something man, but just like he's bigger, and it seems like it's tough to lose that weight. He just seems to be like ballooning a little bit more, and so like he is a four now. Like at the very least, perhaps even like a five if if the right lineups would um, present themselves in this Lakers lineup, even though they're just so stacked at the five that it probably wouldn't happen. But he also is like, he's taking the, what we used to say about Chris Paul approach where he's very deferential early, but he still has that ability to just really turn it on. And in that Mavs game specifically, it seemed like he saw Luka kind of taking the reins and was like, no, actually, I'm going to stop this right now. Yeah, that's my concern with LeBron really is like, can he take a step back? Like, can it be Anthony Davis's team or is this always going to be LeBron's team? Well, that's a great question because it does feel like from the jump, and we said this before in the midst of being pessimistic about the Lakers, it did feel like LeBron had conceded and was willing to give over the reins to AD. And I think that's really worked for them. You could definitely see on the court how they're always interacting. It just seems like they have very good chemistry. AD, there was that clip of him like making fun of LeBron for his hairline at a certain point. It just seems like them together really works. AD has been playing well. Uh, He obviously had that 40-20 game the other night. And I think the big thing is right now, the defense is working. And if you have Anthony Davis engaged on offense, and this has always been the case, especially earlier in his career, when he's engaged on offense, he's going to bring it on defense. And I think that's where LeBron's, just his presence pays off for them. So here's my concern, though. So if you look at the numbers, LeBron is actually having a career high in assists at 11, and AD is passing less than he did in New Orleans. Mm. So my concern is like, AD is being more of the finisher, LeBron's the playmaker, and is LeBron going to hold up for 70 games playing this way? He got hurt last year with that soft tissue injury at Christmas Day, and I feel like they're relying so much on LeBron. He's doing so much right now. I mean, this is the NBA. It's a, you know, the, the cliche, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like, can LeBron play this way for nine months? That's the issue to me, really, right now. Yeah, you always worry perhaps this is the inverse of what we've seen from LeBron lately, uh, just since he's decided to kind of coast early on and then turn it up as the playoffs come on. Uh, Perhaps, like, now we're just worried that he's giving too much too early. I guess we, we won't really know. Kyle Kuzma has come back, and he played well last night. He helped rally the bench uh, along with Quinn Cook in order to bring them back against the Bulls in order to get that six straight win. 
I don't know. I think that's probably why they're so concerned about defense. And they talked about this in, in the preseason that they want to be a defensive team and yada, yada, yada. I guess going forward, another concern I have, though, is just how long they're going to be able to buy minutes with a traditional five on the floor next to Anthony Davis. Dwight Howard has pretty much become one of the best backup it. centers in the league. Yeah, and, and like they could steal minutes from JaVale McGee. But I think there's almost like this tacit acknowledgement from everybody, including like just fans and, and the team, that AD at the five is their most dangerous approach. They just can't go to it often because they don't have the wings to support it. Yeah, and I wonder too, because the star power is so great, against most of the league, LeBron and AD is enough. You can kind of have a lot of like, you know, not maximize the rest of the roster. But against the Clippers, against, you know, the Sixers, the Bucks, those elite teams, you are going to see in June, May and June, at that point, do all those missing pieces come into play? Can you count on it, Casey, to keep this up? Quinn Cook is playing really well right now. Can he count on that? I don't know. Right. Quinn Cook is playing well. Uh, you get some good Caruso minutes. KCP is actually shooting particularly well, and that's notable considering how poorly he started and just how tumultuous his tenure has been with the Lakers uh, ever since pretty much being gifted salary after salary from the Lakers organization because of his relationship with Clutch. I don't know, though. Like, Rondo is going to come back at a certain point, and, like, I am silently just worried that that might actually throw off what they have, that Rondo tends to dominate the ball and will definitely kill your defense at certain times. And they don't really have the assets unless someone is particularly interested in Kyle Kuzma to make a trade. So they really do need to make this work. And I don't know. I'm just, I think the worries that we came into the season about this team still exist despite how well things are going. Well, it's going to have to be the buyout market. So in February and March, they're going to have to hope Iguodala doesn't get traded, that he gets bought out. And they probably got to find maybe a little more shooting, another ball handler. Like I think they probably need two more pieces, and that's going to have to come through minimum salaries on buyouts. Yeah, it's a bummer too because if they had just the ability to trade one more draft pick, I wonder like what a Kyle Lowry would look like on this team when it's LeBron, Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, and AD as your four, and just fill in that fifth spot. That that's just like that's a team that I think would give the Clippers a run for their money. I mean, you can only trade like 30 draft picks, right? At a certain point, you got to <laughs> right. stop dealing. <laughs> right, unfortunately. The only other thing I have here is just Anthony Davis. Uh, I know they talked about this on the Mitch match yesterday, but my guy, just stop saying things. Uh, he was in Chicago the past two days, I believe. And at a certain point, somebody asked him about playing in Chicago and he gave a very coy response where he's just like, honestly, it's nothing like playing at home. I don't know. I mean, I'm a free agent next year. We'll see. It's just... I have no bandwidth for Anthony Davis uh, just like causing commotion. There's just every indication is that that he will come back. And while, I mean, things could go very poorly for this Lakers team, after what happened last year with this guy in New Orleans, I think maybe just take a playoff and just like pass on some questions. I don't know. You are the AD whisperer. Is he just trying to be funny? What do you? What's your take on that? Uh, I don't know how much whispering I've been doing to him lately. Uh, I haven't seen him in a while. But... I think it's smart that he's keeping his options open. There really is no benefit to him to commit to the Lakers financially or just like by signing a contract. Now, uh, rather than this offseason, it just seems like, once again, he's just very impressionable. And not only in the approach he's taking with this next contract and just like trying to apply pressure to the organization, which is the LeBron tactic, and he's very much following in LeBron's footsteps, but he tends to say things that people want to hear. And so I could see him... In a crowd of Chicagoans, he's back home. 
He's getting his favorite pizza after the game, as David McMiniman took a photo of. And I, I could just I could just see him wanting to cater to the crowd and just, just want to get like cheers or whatever. Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, Chicago in De- November and December. I mean, you're living in LA, you're gonna do that. I don't know, man. It's <laughs> right. cold up there. Right. He does have Chicago, I believe, tattooed on his right arm. I could see a situation where if the Bulls were feisty and they had the right environment for him, he would think about it. But I also think he's really kind of enjoying this Lakers run, not only just because they're doing better, but he's in the spotlight. And that's something that he's always wanted. He's, he's always played well, but I don't. I think he's really bristled at the fact that he doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. I mean, the whole thing with Rich Paul making those kind of snide remarks at, at Giannis and also that Anthony Davis wanted, you know, more recognition from Nike when Giannis was getting his own signature shoe. And I, you could definitely see him playing up to it. There was a Nike commercial where he's just like talking about like his his life in Chicago, yada, yada. And I don't know. I just, it just seems like he has a different, he's carrying himself differently. And I think that's another product of his relationship with LeBron. I mean, he is getting talked about on group chat. So thanks for looking <laughs> up for AD. Well, I, I guess before we get out of here though, yep. you see that Ruffles ad he did? Oh my like, God. <laughs> yes, I was sending that to everybody What's up I know. with your guy? <laughs> so Charks is referring to AD wearing a sleeping mask and I think like a neck pillow that you bring on a flight. And in a locker, he had ruffles that glowed in the dark because apparently he's afraid of the dark. Was that it? Am I remembering this? That's correct. They said that. I didn't know what to make of that. So that was news to me. Uh, I was a little struck because the ruffles flavor, I forgot what it was, also seemed kind of gross. But on the other hand, as someone who's often like eaten snacks on the couch, I get it. Like, it's dark. You can't really see what snack you're picking from the bag. You want to know, like, the size uh, or just, like, how much you're putting into your mouth at a certain time. So I actually applaud the ingenuity of of our friend Anthony here. I guess let's just say if you're getting Ruffles ads, there's still work to do before you're really a superstar, a celebrity anyways. Right. This is an upgrade, though, from some of his past advertisements, including one when he was in New Orleans and he was doing an ad for H&R Block. And they did not mention the fact that he is one of the best shot blockers in the NBA. Doesn't that say at all his two biggest ads are h Block and Ruffles? <laughs> what charisma. <laughs> the, uh, the Ruffles flavor, by the way, is just cheddar and sour cream. So it's not all that disgusting. I don't really mess with sour cream. What? Yeah. We got to have a talk about this afterwards. Or cottage cheese. I don't, I don't mess with any of the, the dips. Justin, what? I know. I know. You guys have to kick me off the pod now. All right, let's move along here. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to make a snack joke, but I, I can't make it the transition. So we're just going to go to the Portland Trailblazers. They are a team that is down. They are way down. They just got obliterated by the Warriors G League team on national TV, in which our guy, Eric Paschel, uh, am I pronouncing that right? Paschel? Pascal. Pascal. All right. That guy looked like uh, the ghost of Kevin Durant. Villanova, great. <laughs> Villanova, yes. He and Omari Spellman are just carrying on the proud tradition of, of Jay Wright. Uh, it's not going great for the Blazers. They are 18th in net rating now. It just seems like the front court issues that we all expected them to have have only been compounded. Hassan Whiteside has missed a game. Pau Gasol hasn't played at all yet. And the big one, obviously, Zach Collins will now miss four months with a left labrum surgery. He dislocated that. So, Sharks, things are not working for the Blazers right now. How concerned are you? I love that it's obviously Zach Collins. My guy is moving up in the world. And I think his value will be seen even more now now that he's out. So I was at the game where he got hurt in Dallas. 
And you could just see the team, like, because he hurt his shoulder and it was obvious right away it was a big injury. And it was just like, oh my goodness. It was a very deflated moment because he's such an important part of their team. He's their starting power forward. He closed games with the five with them. He was their best shooting big man, their best all-around big man. He had the best knee rating on their team. And without him, it's just really, really thin up front. They have no two-way players. They have no size, no sh- very, not even very much shooting. It's just, without Collins, it's just Dame and CJ Jack and shots. And that's just only going to take you so far if you're not playing any defense. And to me, the number that stands out, so over the last three years, their defense has gone from number eight in the league to number 16, to number 23 this season. And that's just not going to get it done. Yeah, it's kind of a familiar thing here where it seems like the offense is there, that they, they've been able to cobble together enough with Dame and CJ and playing a little bit of small ball with Rodney Hood there. Anthony Tolliver is getting minutes and he's obviously going to help you stretch the floor a little bit. But the drop-off from Hassan Whiteside to just virtually anybody else in this front court is just staggering to the point where I believe Mario Hazonia is like spotting at the five at certain times in, in small ball lineups. He's playing a lot of four for sure. Like, if they're playing Scala, Bissier a lot, I mean, it's really, they're down to seeds and stems out there. And I get it. Their their hands were tied this offseason. They were up against the luxury tax and everything else. And Whiteside seemed like, to me, enough of a stopgap in order to wait out until Yusuf Nurkic comes. But we're at the kind of the darkest timeline here where a lot of the guys that they just needed on the floor have gotten hurt. And so they've been exposed there. And it just, I think the biggest problem I saw was they were just completely listless against the Warriors. And that's just not what you expect from a team that was just all guile and bravado in last year's playoffs. I, I don't know what's happened, but perhaps it's a malaise. Maybe it's just like they've done this regular season routine so much before, but it just doesn't seem like there's enough of a spark to overcome a lot of just the functional issues. Well, they've also lost Aminu and Harkless. Mm-hmm. And those guys were limited offensive players, but they gave you a defensive floor because they're you know six eight, six nine, switchable, compete, aggressive players. Without them out there, it's just a really undersized team. And if you have like good defensive players on Dame and CJ, you're going to be at least somewhat good because those guys are scoring enough points. But now it's just all offense, very little defense. Team is not very balanced. And I think they'll have to make a trade. To me, is my guess. Looking at that roster right now. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely raised their risk profile. Uh, they saw in the playoffs Mo Harkless struggle again from the floor, Al Farouk Aminu not getting much, as much defensive attention, and they're like, oh, well, we can't do that yet again for another playoffs, and I get going out and leaning more into guys like Ken Bazemir. Rodney Hood had a very good postseason for them, but this is what ended up happening. It's just it, it just doesn't seem like they have the same floor and they have the same stability at those positions that they're used to. Well, that's what have missing Collins. Without him, the whole thing doesn't work. He was the piece that made it all fit together. Yep, totally. And and so now I think everybody is just waiting breathlessly until they make a trade. Uh, so we we named a few guys here. I would say the first tier of guys that I would start looking at are obviously some of these superstar fours who have either fallen out of favor or just their teams just don't have much of a of a trajectory here this season. Gallo, Kevin Love, Blake Griffin. Which of these three guys is the most appealing to you? Oh, it's tough. Um, first off, all those guys are really injury prone, right? So like, if you sell out for one of those guys and they get hurt, then you're really cooked. That's the tough part for me because I think all three make them so much better on offense. I think Blake's the best player, but how are his knees these days? You know, He's not even playing right now. Yeah, he hasn't played this season. Kevin Love is obviously, uh, he seems Portland like guy. he's back. Yeah, he's a Portland guy. I think... Uh, 
I was listening to Brian Windhorst the other day, and I think there is a, kind of a mixed relationship with going back there, but it seems, sounds like, according to Brian, that love is more open to doing so. The problem there is injuries, one, and two, the contract. I believe he has four more years on his deal, so you're not just committing to Kevin Love for right now, but you are committing to him as part of your core, and I'm, I'm just not sure how he's going to age. I think Gallo's better anyways. What do you think, Isaac? Is Gallo better than Kevin Love at this point in his career? At this point in his career, yes, but he's not all that far behind Kevin Love in age, so you have to keep that in mind. I guess less money too, though. And the thing with Gallo is obviously that he's on an expiring contract, and OKC, you would imagine, would be more willing to part with him and willing to part with him for less than perhaps a guy like Love, who I think the Cavs signed him to that contract in large part in order to trade him. And you look at the roster that they have out there. I, I watched their game against the Celtics last night, and they're very much just just bereft of, of anything outside of their two most recent first-round picks. And so after Love, there really isn't much more in order to get much of a return in a trade, and thus I wonder if they'll ask for more. I think the guy that had to give up is Anthony Simons, who they love. And that's the question is, will they move off Simons to get more instant front court relief? Right. So if they don't go superstar shopping, uh, then we get into the next tier of guys. The first guy, Al Farouk Aminu, uh, obviously. <laughs> Time is a flat circle, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Everything comes back to Al Farouk. Bobby Portis on the Knicks. Oof. Jay Crowder, uh, who is just kind of in limbo in Memphis, along with Andrea Iguodala. And you have listed here Marvin Williams. Who, I think Marvin Williams is the guy, actually. That, uh, to me, makes the most sense. He's on the bench now in Charlotte because they're going full youth movement. He's behind uh, P.J. Washington. But he's a veteran. He shoots threes. He knows his role. I mean, if you're playing Anthony Tall for 30 minutes a night, you could have anyone to be an upgrade, really. Yeah, but is Marvin Williams that upgrade? Because <laughs> last I I'm checked... I'm telling you, he's more Anthony Tolliver. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. I don't know. Marvin, after signing that contract after that one big year with Charlotte where he, he pushed them into the playoffs, I just like haven't seen much from him. I guess he's shooting... Yeah, but you're not watching Charlotte though, Justin. <laughs> seen much from him. <laughs> uh, this is true. In fact, I tried to tune in uh, briefly last night against the Pacers and I lasted all of two minutes. But I actually blame you because you, you forced us to watch the heat for this segment and they just got it completely obliterated. Oh, that was a tough. That was a tough one. <laughs> that was a tough one for your heat. Uh, so I don't know. I think something needs to happen. Another guy uh, we have listed here that Sharks you put down here, Aaron Gordon, Robert Covington, if things fall apart in Minnesota, which given just the injuries they're having in their front court or their, their back court right now, it seems like is inevitable. And Thad Young, who... I think Thad Young makes a ton of sense, actually, because Chicago's not playing very well, and he's played really well for them. Yeah, it, I think for the reasons you mentioned, it makes sense to go the stopgap route. Uh, I just think if you're going to sacrifice any of your young depth, you're kind of biting off your, what is it? You Spite your face, biting off your nose. What is that saying? What are you talking about? It's bite your nose despite your Justin's face? In a, he's in his own world now. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know what the phrase is. Great. So they're doing Mr. that. Potato Head over they're doing there. that where they're just, you know, they're hurting themselves uh, in, in a different way, is what I'll say. Okay. Well, <laughs> on that point, let's move on. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, Isaac's own, they are the other yeah. team that we have up here. They are fourth in the West at five and two. Their offense has been pretty spectacular, especially when Kawhi Leonard is on the floor. They have a plus 6.1 net rating. And Jonathan Charks wrote today on TheRinger.com that they are way out in front of the title race already. It sounds like Paul George, Isaac told me to mention as soon as possible, might be coming back sooner rather than later. 
And Sharks, that's the point you made in your article that if and when they get him back, they could take the leap to perhaps the Jordan era Bulls. I know that sounds crazy, but I feel like it's not. If you look at their numbers, when Kawhi's in, they're plus 18. When Kawhi's out, they're minus nine. So if, if they can plug in a second superstar who can play with Kawhi, play without Kawhi. I mean, this team to me just looks like a freaking machine. And though, you got to start with Kawhi. You were at the game on Sunday. You want to tell us what happened in that, in that Utah game? Yeah, so it was very strange because it was kind of a sleepy environment. It was kind of a slog, a bit of a slugfest against Utah. And then all of a sudden, you could kind of tell that Kawhi was like, nah. And he just, he does this thing where he never looks like he's consciously doing anything differently because he doesn't really emote on the floor. And even his some of his maneuvers are very mechanical, obviously, the whole robot thing that everyone talks about with him. It was kind of like a play-action QB where it seemed like all of a sudden you look up and he has 18 points in the fourth quarter. And I think that's the big thing with him. Whenever he wants to dominate, it seems like he can. Yeah, I mean, he's in the 98th percentile of isolation scores. It just feels like he's at that point now. With KD out, I think he's probably the best scorer in the league. Like He just scores at will these days. There's just nothing you can do about it. Like He gets to his spots. He's so big and strong. Such a good shooter. It's just like, all right, he's going to score. Unless you double team him. And now he's a better passer too. Like to me, Kawhi, for Kawhi to be this good, that's where I think it starts with the Bulls comparison. Like Doc called Kawhi MJ like after the game on Sunday. And it's not crazy the way he's playing right now. Yeah, and it's funny because Kawhi obviously did this last postseason, but it almost feels like the Clippers have an even better contacts for him now. Uh, And this is something you wrote about as well. It's just, you look around the court and there are just shooters and defenders everywhere. Yeah, so the floor is always space for Kawhi, and he's always playing with four good defenders. And it's allowed him to almost like simplify his game. He has a, you should write a 40, which is James Harden-like, and he's shooting more than ever his entire career. Because he's like, I'm going to maximize my time on the floor. If I get the ball, it's going up. That's what stood out to me, too, looking at his numbers. So he only touches the ball 65 times per game. So a comparison, Harden's at 84. Luca's at 104. So Kawhi's touching almost half as often, but he's scoring more because he gets the ball, it's going up instantly. There's no waste in motion, two dribbles, shot, boom. I mean, like, it's a cliche, but he really is a machine at this point. Yeah, I mean, one of the big concerns I had going into the season with the Clippers, and it was a minor one, it was just they just didn't have the ball handlers that you would like, but that hasn't been an issue because whenever Kawhi wants the ball, they just give it to him and he just dominates. It's, it's really just it's startling. And then when Paul George comes back, they'll obviously have another player to do so. Uh, And another thing you mentioned was just like Lou Williams has been kind of the one sore spot on defense, but he's playing more there and they're probably going to him more simply because they don't have George. Yeah, he's a second scorer right now. And when Paul George comes back, then you can have either Kawhi in or Paul George in. And then I think you can pick and choose Lou a little more carefully because, okay, this thing can attack him on defense, take him out right now. We'll wait. You can use Lou more as a change of pace back. He comes in for like five minutes and scores a lot, then comes out. But without Paul George there, he has to kind of carry the offense for a while. And to me, like you look at George and Kawhi, that combination of players, like six seven, six eight, they can both shoot it, they can both handle, they can both defend, they can both pass. It's it's tough, man. That is a really, really like you, you compare them to even the other great wing combos, right? So yeah, D Wade and LeBron, like iffy shooters. You had Clay and KD. Like Clay is not really a point guard, but with Paul George and Kawhi, they can do everything. They're both 
such like well-rounded players. That's what really makes them so good is they have no holes in their game. And that makes them very, very tough to match up with in a playoff series. Yeah, my only concern is just the load management. Kawhi is sitting out tonight's Bucks game. And that's pretty heartbreaking, missing Kawhi versus Giannis. I know. That's really, that really is a bummer. And Sharks wrote going into the season how Kawhi and Giannis are the next LeBron and KD. So this is particularly heartbreaking for him. Yeah, I just, I think the Suns game, which was their first loss after those two big wins against the Lakers and the Warriors, I think that was the, the kind of the reality check for me. Not that they lost to a team like the Suns, who actually has acquitted Killing itself it. well. The Suns have been pretty feisty these days, but they couldn't really go to Kawhi in crunch time as much as they wanted because they were like being more stringent about his minutes load. I, I think they're keeping him around like the 30-minute mark, and that's what's going to happen. If he's not going to sit out, he's going to sit out games, but they're also going to have to be cautious with him. So until Paul George comes back, it just seems like they probably will punt some wins that they otherwise would, would have. See, to circle it back, if I was the Lakers, this is how I would treat LeBron. I would like, what's the point in pressing him this far this early in the season? I'd be resting him a lot, you know? I know LeBron has like great doctors and great trainers, and he really is in peak physical condition and blah, blah, blah. But if I'm Lakers, like LeBron's a priceless asset. Like the Clippers are not going to waste Kawhi in November. They're going to make sure he's going to be ready for May and June. If I'm the Lakers, that, that's what I'd be worrying about. Because ultimately, if you're the Lakers, right, you know you got to go through the Clippers. And you know, if the Clippers have home court advantage, it doesn't matter, right? It's a staple center. It's going to be your home court no matter what. Yeah, I mean, it basically, it comes back to the main distinction between the two LA franchises, which the Lakers have two phenomenal players, whereas the Clippers have just uh, two phenomenal players plus an entire roster perfectly suited to what they do. I mean, you don't have a Trez and Lou just waiting on the bench in order to spot LeBron. And that is probably the main difference in this season. I, I do wonder, even if we get to the playoffs, some of those minutes where they're obviously going to have to sit LeBron or AD for a certain amount of time, and that's when the Clippers' advantage will just start to show. But you think the Lakers at this point are their biggest competition, the Clippers? I think so. I mean, we'll talk about the Rockets in a second, but I really feel like the L... I mean, I thought coming into the year, the LA teams were the best two teams in the conference, and nothing that's happened so far has changed my mind about that. Wow, I, I can't believe you're still on the Rockets bandwagon. We should pivot there because that's as good of a tease as did we're going to get. Did I say that? <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break uh, and we're going to come back and talk about the Rockets and do some love to see it, hate to see it. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show group chat is brought to you by FanDuel. There are always more ways to win on FanDuel Sportsbook and it's easy to get your winnings when you want them. With FanDuel Sportsbook's cash out feature, you could end your bet early and claim your cash with the push of a button. Plus, FanDuel's fast payouts mean you can get your winnings in your pocket in as little as 24 hours. Money lines, spreads, totals, parlays, props, teasers, and more. FanDuel Sportsbook has tons of bet types available every single day. Plus, they always offer unique betting promos to spice up game day, like boosted odds, score bonuses, and parlay insurance. With so much to bet on across 17 different sports, FanDuel Sportsbook is sure to have a wager that's right for you. And best of all, 
you can place your first bet on FanDuel Sportsbook risk-free. If you lose, you'll get a refund of up to $500 in site credit. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app with promo code RINGERNBA to bet from anywhere in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. If you lose your first bet within seven days of signing up, FanDuel Sportsbook will give you a refund of up to 500 bucks in site credit. That's promo code RINGERNBA, R-I-N-G-E-R-N-B-A, 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Indiana. First online wager only. Site credit expires in 14 days. Cash out not available in all markets. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And now back to group chat. All right, we're back. It's Charks. Justin Isaac is here. We kept him kind of away from the Clippers. Yeah, the you last didn't segment. throw to me. Do you have any lingering thoughts? Well, you guys ended the segment talking about the <laughs> Lakers, um, which is very offensive. Uh, we were talking your team up so much. What are you even going to say? Like, we were being so you know positive what? anyways. I, I was thinking this the other day. Like, this is really bad for my personal brand because uh, my personal brand has been one of misery and of nothing's ever going to work out. And now uh, suddenly the Clippers are the favorites. So I don't know what's going to happen to my personal brand. But you know what? I will sacrifice my brand if my favorite team wins a championship. So I mean, that's what they always say, right? To win a championship, you all got to sacrifice. Even the fans. <laughs> even the fans. You're like a goth kid, Isaac, that just like all of a sudden has to go to a job and like wash away the makeup and the pain. <laughs> Take out the nose ring. Yeah. You hate to see it. That is my hate to see it for today. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the Rockets quickly. Uh, they are definitely down. They have given up in a single game this season, 158 points, 129, and 123 twice. They were down at one point in the first quarter to Miami, 59-18. to 18. Mm. Jeff Bedzilic, where are you, my guy? They need some help. Is this as simple, Charks, as saying this is what happens when you introduce... Russell Westbrook into this like finely crafted environment for James Harden? I will say the numbers with Westbrook are tough. It's worse than with Mello last year on their defense. When Westbrook is in, Westbrook is out. That's tough. Yeah, that's tough. I don't think necessarily Westbrook himself. I feel like it's what Westbrook represents. So here's my theory for the Rockets. My theory is they're playing way, way, way too fast. So last year they were the uh, 26th fastest team in the league. You're the second fastest. And to me, it just makes sense with the rest of their roster. They're really old. They're very thin. They don't have much of a bench. And our guy, James Harden, he's not a guy who's got to be up and on the court really fast. He's huffing and puffing out there. Yeah. Zach Cram had a piece on, on The Ringer earlier this week about just like the pace numbers with Russell Westbrook in there. And it definitely seems like they're playing two different styles. Uh, at certain times, and, and, and it makes sense to do so, but it just almost seems like everyone else on the roster is tailor-made to James Harden, but not Russell Westbrook. Is that fair? I think so. So the number for Harden that stood out to me, so Harden is in the seventh percentile of Princeton scores this year. Seventh. And he's 79th and half-court scoring. Like, James Harden's not a guy who's going to be running for 40 minutes. It's just not a recipe for success. Yeah, he's going to want to bring the ball up the court. He's going to want to grind it out. And it doesn't help when our guy is just shooting as poorly as uh, Cam Reddish. Sorry, Isaac. 
I don't know what is happening to him this season, but he has just been off in a way that I haven't seen him in a very long time. It does seem like people are playing more of that Milwaukee Bucks defense where they're playing him on the one side and making him go to his right. I forget which side it is, but like they're playing off on that one side like to go against a step back because I know it's kind of coming. Yeah, and Mike D'Antoni kind of leaned into this the other day. Uh, he, one of my favorite quotes of the early season so far, uh, we're not in trouble, and this was after the Heat game, we're not in trouble, but if we think we're not in trouble, then we're in trouble, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I think that really kind of underscores thing. The question going forward is like, how do they fix this? Is, is this just like integrating Russ better into what they do? Do they have the assets to go out and trade for somebody? Is Clint Capella a guy that they've dangled in the past? And it sounded like they were doing so this offseason before they went out and got Russ. Is that a way to upgrade what they need? I think they want to move him. You can really tell D'Antoni had some quote where he, I think it was the Nets game. He played, Capella played like 19 minutes and they asked him why he didn't play more. He's like, well, he's playing badly. I'm not going to play him more often if he's going to play badly. And to me, like Capella, He's kind of hit his ceiling of who he is as a player. And with Russ there, I think you can probably afford to play smaller because Russ is grabbing like 12 boards a game anyways. To me, if I was Houston, I got to tell Russ to chill out. We're slowing it down. We're trying to play games in the 100s, not the 120s. Because to me, like with their roster, if you look up and down the roster, they're not crazy talented. They've got to slow the game down, let Harden win games with them playing one-on-one. And to me, I would use Russ more as like a screener. That's a lot of Russ Harden pick and rolls. That to me is the way to use Russ in the offense where he doesn't have the ball and where he's making the defense guard him off the ball. It's like, and I think that's the thing is like, will Russ sacrifice? Can they tell Russ anything? I have no idea. So you want to turn Russell Westbrook into Aaron Baines? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's something to try. It's a different idea. He's getting closer and closer to a man bun, uh, although he seems like he's going the other way where his, his like braids are coming over his face in little like tassels. Uh, yeah, I think it makes sense in theory, but then that introduces the main question, which is like, what coach could ever ask Russ to do that? It has to be James Harden. He has to like, not be passive aggressive and just, he needs to be the leader of this team. He needs to tell Russ, it's my team. We're playing my style. All this stuff about, oh, we're going to mix styles. No, it's James Harden's team. Russ has got to get in line. Like, Russ, your style doesn't work. Y'all lost in Oklahoma City. If you're going to play on my team, you got to play my way. But that's not really Harden's style. Harden's more of like a passive-aggressive guy where, okay, do what you want, see if it works. But we're watching it now, and it's not working. Yeah. And I've definitely seen Russ kind of lean into that identity more, that kind of like hustle player that he probably needs to be. I remember against the Nets once he just like completely ran back on defense and swatted a shot. And I was like, oh, there's there's Russ kind of in the Ben Simmons mode where Ben Simmons is now where he's just engaged on defense and he's using just his physicality and his just elite athleticism in order to make an impact there. The problem obviously is just he's just not there as often as he needs to be. But I also worry about, you know, we mentioned Clint Capella earlier, but like where's Eric Gordon, a guy that they put a lot of money into this year and maybe that's just to inflate his value on the trade market. I'm not sure, but he had been a key contributor before and he's just not coming up with a lot of points. He's averaging at this point, 10 points a game, which is not what you want to see out there. Uh, shooting 20. What is with this team? He's shooting 28% from the floor, 23% from three. So here's my theory with that too, with Gordon. It's, it's all threes. It's a streakier shot. 
I think Houston's above 50% on threes this year and in terms of number of free field goals attempted. It's more than half threes. So if you take that many threes, you're going to be streakier, right? That's yeah. just the nature of the shot. And I do wonder if that's a trickle-down effect of Russ, right? If, if Russ is handling the ball, then perhaps more shots you're getting are on kickouts and you're trying to space. And I think in, in general, like if Russ is handling the ball, you're creating more possessions. But this is not a team that needs to have more possessions. They're not that talented. Like they're really relying on Ben McLemore, who's like, say this career maybe, but you know, don't be pushing Ben McLemore too far. Reel that in. That is definitely the like the sneaky issue of this team, where I think everyone expected, given the depth that they accumulated over last season, since they rolled over a lot of those guys, the Austin Rivers, the Eric Gordons the Daniel House, uh, a favorite on this podcast, that they would be fine there. It just, it seems like, like the Blazers, they are precariously thin at certain spots. Yeah, that's their entire team. That's like six guys. Right. Thabo Cephalosha is getting minutes. And once again, if PJ Tucker, Tucker misses time, I, I worry very much for this team. Oh yeah, they'd be falling apart completely without PJ Tucker. He has silently been just like one of the most important players of the past like three years. He's a rock, man. He plays... He closed games at the five a lot now. Like they'll bench Capella, play PJ at the five at like six four. It's crazy, man. Yeah. It's funny to say, but PJ Tucker in in a certain way is kind of like defined an era of basketball. Is that too much? He's their second most valuable player, I'll say that. Exactly. Harden. Yeah. Harden's allowed to be what he is because PJ Tucker does so much on the defensive end. Here, you know what he is? He's a new age like Charles Oakley, just like a bruiser. He's like the enforcer on that team. I love it. All right, well, let's uh, let's wrap this up here. We're gonna go to America's number one segment. It's called "Love to See." Number it. one, <laughs> love to see it. Hate to see it. We're gonna start off by listing some things that we enjoyed in the NBA this week. Sharks, what is your first love to see it? I'm sticking on brand. Malcolm Brogdon, All Star point guard. Yeah, I mean the Pacers not been fun to watch, but he's killing it, man. He's number five in the league in touches per game. He's holding the ball the whole game. 24 points, nine assists, 50% shooting. And yeah, they don't have Oladipo. They don't have Miles Turner. They don't have Sabonis. Malcolm Brogdon is winning games for them. My guy is killing it. Best backcourt in the league, Brogdon Oladipo. Do you think Brogdon is going to win MVP this year? I mean, one one step at a time. <laughs> this year is the all-star year. We'll worry about that MVP down the road. Yeah. We should also mention that the Pacers lost in overtime to the Hornets last night. Well, I'm saying that he was one of their top four players in right now. Right, right, right. That's not bad. Malcolm Brogdon needs more help. When is he, when is he going to get the guys <laughs> in order to support his MVP campaign? I'm telling you. It's, it's going to happen. All right, what I love to see, I'm not sure how much I love to see this, but maybe I'm just like curious about this or fascinated by this whole thing. Andre Drummond quietly is pushing the 20 rebound average mark, which would be <laughs> unprecedented in the NBA. Uh, shouts to Shocker Saman, one of our staffers here at The Ringer, who pointed this out. Shocker, one of, I think, the only Detroit Pistons fans in existence. I mean, if you watch Pistons games, there's not many people there, so. Yes, they have, they have a very big problem there, but not with Drummond, who's averaging 19.4 rebounds a game right now, which is incredible. He obviously doesn't have a lot of competition for those boards uh, because Blake Griffin hasn't played a game yet. And I think I looked up the uncontested rebounds versus contested rebounds, and I think over half of them are uncontested. So this is probably largely a product of Drummond just getting the ball whenever there's nobody around in order to fight him for the rebound. But 
Andre Drummond quietly having just one of the more fascinating careers I've ever seen, where he is dominant to a certain extent, but it doesn't ever lead to winning basketball. I just want to go back real quick. And you were like, okay, love to see it. I'm not sure I actually love this. Like, that's how cynical you are. You couldn't find one thing you actually love. <laughs> you still had the hedge, the one thing you settle. I don't actually like this at all, but I'll say it anyways, because for the segment. <laughs> well, you know, I just love to see a fellow UConn grad thriving. I love to see that. I just, I guess I don't love to see Andre Drummond playing and particularly just mopping up statistics for a very bad Detroit Pistons team. That He that went coast to coast the other day. I was impressed. I was like, whoa, Drummond's like, I'll bring it up myself. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, there was a game against the Wizards, which I watched a little of uh, the other day, in which they were just completely barren at point guard because Blake Griffin isn't there. Tim Frazier's been hurt. Derek Rose. Hey, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson. Out. Yeah, Reggie Jackson's out for a couple of weeks now. And it was basically like Luke Kennard and Ron J. Drummond orchestrating offense. It was a sight to behold. I'll say that. So I love to see that sort of kind of maybe not. Uh, hate to see it. Sharks, what are you hating to see this week? I mean, what kills me about Milwaukee is they've got some really good young players just dying on the bench. So last week, they won a couple of games because they played Sterling Brown and Dante DiVincenzo because Kyle Korver and Wes Matthews were hurt. And those two guys just add a whole element to their team. And they had this guy, DJ Wilson, who doesn't even play for them, who's freaking amazing. To me, Bud is just such a conservative old man. He's going with his vets no matter what. I think it's still going to hurt their team. Like They've got some great young players. Bud, be aggressive. Play your best players, please. Come on. Yeah, but silently, the Bucks, as I learned last night, number one net rating in the NBA right now. How dare you bring that up, Justin, <laughs> in my segment? <laughs> so they're doing okay. Uh, but yes, it, it would be great to see him kind of diversifying the lineup there. Uh, I am going to go south of Milwaukee here and say that I hate to see the Pelicans sans Zion Williamson, particularly on defense. Uh, the Pelicans have dealt with a lot of injuries thus far. Derek Favors has been banged up. Drew Holiday has been banged up, obviously. Zion as well. And while the Brandon Ingram show has just been pretty fun to watch, he had a career-high 40 the other night. It just hasn't been going well overall for the team, particularly on defense. Uh, I think they're 1-6 and six overall. They brought in Jeff Bedzilic late of the Houston Rockets, and they replaced Darren Ehrman with him. And once again, it just doesn't seem like an Alvin Gentry coach team can really put together much there. And while, yes, once again, Alvin is faced with a bunch of injuries, which is he's faced throughout his tenure in New Orleans, some of the lineup combinations they're working with like don't make a lot of sense to me. And I'm wondering if this thing gets out of hand, whether or not he will be the guy they blame. My theory is going back to the pace discussion. It's like they just play too fast to play defense. It's really, really hard to play defense when you play that many possessions. I think you just get run down. I think the score gets inflated. People start running. It gets a little sloppier the game, and it's just hard to lock down defensively. You're going to play at the fastest pace in the league every single year. That's my theory, anyways. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, obviously they're going to thrive on offense. That's always been. Alvin's kind of approach there and they are to their in their defense also like trying to work in some of these younger guys who are still trying to figure things out uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker being the prime example of that uh, Nico Melli a guy who just I mean, like, they're working in Julie Okafor an awful lot right and Kevin, I don't know if he counts as a younger guy right I mean Okafor has been starting for them I, I guess I'm just a little disappointed because guys like the Lakers crew Ingram Ball Hart they really shouldn't be in that category where they're still developing I mean these guys are in for Lonzo, year three, and Josh Hart, and, and Ingram's pretty much really in the year right well, before. Well, I, I think those agency. guys are like 
let's get our stats or whatever. Like we're here to get stats down, get a contract. Right. And they see those contracts coming up. Got to get those counting stats up and get those get that money. Right. And that's what you worry about with a team that's that's playing this poorly. Um, all right, let's wrap it there. We will be back next week to talk about all of the goodness in the NBA. Chris will be back with us. Until then, for Charks, Isaac, I am Justin. We will see you next time. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.